Hello and a happy belated new year and welcome to the Built Academy podcast. I'm your host, Carl Storms. In this episode, part two of our open source series, we see our last guest, Mark Wingenrack, return. Mark, happy new year. Thank you for returning to the Built Academy podcast. Yeah, well, thank you for, uh, for having me on, on the show. Always great to have uh, like-minded people on the show for sure. Yeah, yes. It was very interesting to, uh, to, to be asked to uh, curate another set of podcasts uh, or co-host them uh, on the topic of open source. And so I guess that's, that's a, a great question for the listeners here. We don't have another Built Academy correspondent in this episode. Maybe can you tell us a little bit about how you came to be the host for our many upcoming open source episodes and maybe a little bit about this specific episode? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, well, uh, first of all, I was uh, of course invited by you to to have a, a, my own uh, interview on the uh, open source podcast, and then uh, the team asked me, to, "Well, can you give in your network? Do you have interesting uh, speakers you want to talk to?" Yes, of course I had, and uh, it ran into the new year, getting them to agree to do the podcast, but. In the new year, the, the whole team is a bit busy, uh, the back end. So, uh, so David, uh, Julia, and all the others, whether that's uh, doing their educations or professionally or working on the, on the summit that's coming up, of course, in May. Uh, that's Valencia, right, Carl? That's absolutely right. We'll give you listeners more about that coming up, so don't you worry. <laughs> so, so um but um, since they were so busy, and uh, I I lined it up already with uh, with speakers, of course, uh, it, for me it was no problem to jump in and uh, being versed on the topic of open source. It also is a bit maybe a bit easier to to take a deep dive uh, with some of them into the lake that's called open source and how that works. So uh, sure, and I'm certainly looking forward to the upcoming episodes. I'm sure listeners are. What do we have on the episode today? Well, we today we have John Merchant, and John is, uh, uh, for me, uh, was basically the, the biggest introduction into IFC and sort of open source, and for us, for my company, has been for the start. Um, some of the work he, he was working on, open sourcing part of his IFC tool set, it gave us the inspiration to continue with uh, uh, open source uh, working and workflows. So, yeah, th this show basically is uh, or this interview is with John a bit about uh, his past, what he's been working on and how he came to 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 open source some of the stuff he's been doing. He's a double engineer. He uh, did uh, engineering science, but also uh, I think it's uh, computational. So he's, he's a programmer as well. And uh, he um, well, he started his business 10 years ago. Uh, well, yeah, 2009 he started Geometry Gym, so it's more than 10 years. Um, and he started writing tools just to 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 help himself, and some of those tools uh, got open sourced and uh, are part of what we, uh, with my little company, are doing and part of the for people to use. So, and and some of the things that he's built are really interesting things like plugins on top of uh, Revit, but also extensions on Rhino and Grasshopper to work with IFC and do stuff with Tecla or structural analysis, uh, complex things. And nowadays he's very busy with uh, infrastructure. So the extension on IFC for infrastructure. 
and uh, I think he's doing a very interesting project with uh, uh, the real in New South Wales. So uh, expect to be seeing from <laughs> a lot of stuff from him on, on that topic. So uh, that, that's also interesting. Well, that's very cool, uh, particularly the infrastructure part. Let's not keep you waiting. Let's go ahead and have a listen. Welcome back to uh, another episode of uh, the Build podcast, this time again about open source. And we have the lovely guest of John Merchant. Well, welcome, John. Hi, Mark. Nice to speak to you again. Yeah, it's uh, nice to speak to you, although it's uh, halfway across the world for me yeah. again <laughs> and in different time zones. But um, nice to be talking to you. For the people that don't know you, could you please introduce yourself a bit? Yeah, sure. So I, I, I uh, normally describe myself as a hybrid structural engineer slash um, programmer or software developer. So I'm uh, talking to you from Australia. I uh, grew up on a farm down here and then did a double degree in engineering and computer science. So I worked as a structural engineer for just about 10 years on a few sports stadiums and towers and um, with a computer science degree, wrote some tools that helped me do my job as an engineer and sort of started then as full-time developing these tools about 12 years ago. So concentrating more on the programming, primarily in the form of plugins for uh, for applications like Revit and Rhino and, and uh, these types of software. Yeah, most and most of the stuff that you did or are doing is, is, is based around IOC, that's correct, right? Yeah, it definitely that's the, been a core part of a, um, of a lot of the tools that we've developed about how to achieve interoperability or get data moving or models moving from one application to another. So, you know, I, I, over the last, Geometry Gyms, as I said, about 12 years old, um, I pretty much developed most of it by myself. We've grown a little bit over the last couple of years. That being able to, to use a, a standard like IFC or the Industry Foundation classes gave me a data model or schema without having to try and design it and, and test it and develop it myself. So that's... Uh, probably helped me stay small and agile and, uh, and concentrate on the implementation rather than the data model to facilitate the exchange. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and you've been pretty active with that because you've been also a um, very big contributor or at least the moderator of the standard itself. And so you're active within building smart. Yeah, I've, I've been active. I mean, there's been plenty of uh, significant contributors, um, I think that's one of the benefits of IFC is that it's sort of had experts from all around the world over the last 20 plus years uh, that have contributed to what what is sort of the standard definitions or, or concepts needed to describe the built environment. So, but yeah, I've, I've played a small role having having used it and, and being an early implementer and uh, in particularly the last couple of years with the infrastructure extension being involved with the team that have, that have um, helped expand it and extend it into that, into that discipline. Okay, at least an interesting development to extend the IFC schema into uh, into that area. Yeah, I think it's it's an it's going to be interesting as it emerges because I guess BIM, as people would understand, it, has been used in buildings for for quite a few years, and so there's a lot of legacy processes and legacy expertise, etc., in that. Whereas, as I understand it, a lot of infrastructure is still being CAD dominated with technical drawings. Yeah. So in some ways, you don't have this legacy burden of different applications with this is how they've always done it. There's probably a whole bunch of emerging applications that will start with a clean clean sweep at, at this, at using this maybe as a basis of exchanging those models. So, Well, I hope that that 
takes the rest of IFC also a bit by hand and then and, and sort of pushes it into uh, a, a new direction uh, or expands upon the uh, the schema a bit maybe um so it, basically we just about talked about why you got into ifc the and ifc of course is is open source um, that's also the reason why you were became involved really with the open source community the development of tools right it definitely is i mean i i still describe my contribute contributions to open source as fairly modest but the key part that we have open sourced is our toolkit for reading and writing these IFC or industry foundation classes that, that we've built various tools and plugins on top of that. But the intellectual property of the, the industry foundation classes, which is, which is an object oriented data model. So it lends itself quite well to C sharp that we develop in. Um, so in the sort of the, most of the stuff we've open sourced, isn't really our intellectual property. It's just our implementation of it. So yeah, that definitely the the two have gone hand in hand with the the open standard and the and the open sourcing uh, of the software. Yeah, that, that's that's I guess where we've mostly participated in for open source. Yeah, so it gives basically it gives the users tools to work with the standard. That's that's the uh, that's yeah. what you've been doing. Like when I first started using the industry foundation classes about eight or nine years ago, it was. Yotney was the, the the key toolkit that, and it's still used, or at least has been used by a lot of the popular dominant software vendors. But as a small startup, we just didn't have the funds to use that tool, license that toolkit. So mm-hmm. um, there's a lot more open source options available today, but but eight or nine years ago there wasn't. So I sort of just started writing my own toolkit. And what I got out of that was an intimate understanding about what the schema can and can't do. So, well, John. Um... That really sums up why you were sort of introduced to sort of maybe not voluntarily, but involuntarily introduced into an, uh, a, a workflow that was open source. We briefly talk, talked about uh, what you were actually working on. I would like to go into that a bit further. So some of the tools you've been writing, not all of, all of it's open source. I know that some of it's still yeah, like you said, plugins on top of uh, Revit and Grasshopper mainly. I think that that's where your toolkit sort of started because of the open workflow, I guess, in in, in Grasshopper. Um, could you elaborate a bit on what your tools actually do in those two uh, uh, applications? Yeah, so you're right. I mean, we first started looking how we could generate Revit models in, in Grasshopper. So... Now, of course, Dynamo is a, another open source or primarily open source development that facilitates this graphical node programming that's quite popular with architects and engineers. Um, rather than typing code, they can create these graphical scripts and watch the data flow between them and debug them, which I think is probably one of the harder skills needed for software development that, that more um, ordinary architects and engineers might not have. Um, but yeah, Dynamo was sort of motivated by Grasshopper, the same that Grasshopper was kind of motivated by Design Script. Um, and we'd done a lot of work early on about generating structural analysis models from Grasshopper for engineers, structural engineers. Uh, and then we were being asked about, well, can we generate Revit models using the same approach? Uh, and at the time, you couldn't really run Rhino and Revit within the same sort of core, you know, you can't run, you couldn't run right. What now we have Rhino inside technology, which basically means Rhino itself. 
or Grasshopper can be a Revit plugin, but eight or nine years ago, that didn't exist. So yeah. we were trying to bridge model data from the two and the industry foundation classes gave us a pretty a decent data model for how to define walls and columns and um, mechanical equipment and, and you know, kind of then generate the data uh, from okay. Grasshopper, but generate the Revit models from that basis. Uh, just just for the listeners that don't know, um, Dynamo and Grasshopper are basically sort of visual scripting tools, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So rather than typing code, you you have these batteries or cells which are effectively functions or constructors, and you sort of have data that then flows into them to create them or, or be processed, and then outputs that you chain together. So um, yeah, it's it's effectively another way of programming. All right. We haven't touched it, touched upon it yet, but um, how how does the work that you open sourced or are open sourcing? How is it basically funded? If I'm correct, it sort of comes out of normal assignments that you have with your business, and then you produce the code you need, and some of it belongs to that open source toolkit, and some some of it doesn't. So so it's mainly yourself funding yourself. Not not quite. I mean, in part, definitely. So. The, the, the core toolkit for reading an IFC files is, is the basis of the tools we develop for Rhino and, and Tecla and Revit, et cetera. Um, but we've also done some third-party code development on behalf of some clients for their own applications or processes, and they've wanted to then interface either with importing or exporting IFC. Mm-hmm. So given our familiarity or trust in our own toolkit, we, we've preferred to use our toolkit for those developments. So... Uh, but then rather than give them a closed source dependency, we've, we've then used the IFC open source toolkit as, as, that, um, as that enabler. So, so definitely some of the revenues we've got from those third-party developments have, have helped fund it. But, yeah, de- definitely also the revenue streams we've had from our own software, we've, um, we, we've put back into the time needed to create the toolkit. So. Okay, John, um, that was interesting uh, talking about how it got funded but could you explain why some of it isn't open source and could have been but well yeah not everything's open uh i think that the funding is sort of a limitation to open sourcing it right well it's it's a risk isn't it it's it's and i think you know geometry gym sort of evolved over time and said it started as tools that i wrote to help me do my own job and then letting others in the office start using them and then other firms start using them Um, and I guess if you started again maybe you'd take a a clean swing at trying to open source everything but it kind of started as closed source tools and then continued or persisted that way so just for listeners just do a little bit to elaborate we did we did a big project together where um, tried basically um, use the IFC project library to get uh, native IFC content going, right? And we asked you, well, you have this great set of tools um, and, and we want to build something for the community. Could you please open source it? So that, that was, an, um, I guess, a big step in partly open sourcing uh, the toolkit, right? Absolutely, yeah. Well, it's, it's having the confidence to, to, say, pursue a fully open source business model is, is, is a big risk. I mean, it's, again, I, I, it's interesting because there's alternatives like Speckle Systems who are also concentrating a lot on interoperability. Mm-hmm. 
and they are truly open source. They they emerged out of a, a PhD project from Dimitri. And yep. it, it's interesting. I, I don't know exactly where they get their funding from, but they're, they're certainly a growing team. For, the, for those who don't know Speckle, could you please explain what it does? Well, again, it's, it's interoperability of models between one application to another. And I think it, Dimitri did some had some quite clever ideas about generic serialization. So using JSON um, and taking, say, a C-sharp object with its properties and then serializing them in an abstract way. So it can kind of work with any data model. Um, and, but yeah, it, and it's, it's kind of cloud-based, I guess. So it's, it's normally saving data to a data, a cloud database and, and then extracting or, or revising it from the different plugins or connectors that, that, that access that. So basically it's taking the information from one model and, yeah. and producing or opening it up to be used within a different software package. Yeah. And it's, you know, you, we, we did some initial work about using IFC as, a, as one data model that it could, it could transfer. But as I said, it doesn't in a very generic way. So, uh, and they've had sort of come up with their own data model for, for some parts, um, but, or others like um, the Bureau Hapol built habitat object model or, or others can also be used to, to as the basis of how to express the data. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's interesting. And I mean, I, I had some a, a small participation in some of the initial funding conversations about how Speckle could grow and be an open and retain its open source, open source development and distribution. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I from my own, I, I, you know, I, I've, toyed with the idea of several times of kind of open sourcing all of our developments. Um, in some ways, I guess that might allow Geometry Gym to stay small and agile. And, you know, I, I, I believe that that some of the clients that, that have engineers and architects that can code would contribute to the, to the open source project. So it would have a, a bigger development team. It would have a much bigger review team where, where people would at least review and look at the code and perhaps make suggestions about ideas about how to fix problems or, or improve how, how the code um, is structured. Yeah. But yeah, it's just having, you know, having that confidence in that you have a revenue stream to still work on it full time um, is, is probably the biggest, biggest barrier to me trying to pursue a totally open source development. Yeah, or, or basically building the community to help you. Uh, well, that's right. And again, I'm not an expert in this. Maybe I should study it further. Um, <laughs> you know, some you know some open source business models. It's they, they charge for the technical support, um, but then you can also then compete against third parties that that don't have the overhead of developing the source, but could still provide alternative technical support. So, so that's certainly not necessarily a a um, guaranteed revenue stream. Yeah, so it's all. So basically, the funding model is sort of making you a bit reluctant to open source even more or develop even more. Well, it is. I mean, you've still got bills to pay and a young family to send to school with shoes and and all that type of thing. So <laughs> it's it would be a big risk to go from. I mean, you know, again, having sort of evolved the company over twelve years, you have. I mean, some clients come and go, but but there's a lot of regulars that that pay the annual fees to to get the updates and support and the access. Um, and yeah, it's just you know if if the 
software is or the code source code is freely it, it is a leap of faith as to whether they continue to to fund the the work that's done or whether they could just access it for free and rely on others to try and and fund it and mm-hmm. that was certainly it was you know it certainly is a, a genuine concern so I, I don't know how to how to perhaps overcome that well that's well we can do a, a shout out here and have people <laughs> say okay if if you're interested in, in in contributing to the open source toolkit of john um well we put up uh, uh, some of the links in the show notes of course uh, um and and we'll give the, them some information how to be in touch with you and uh and help you of course um I think what I have heard is don't open source with the expectation that lots will contribute source code because sure you'll get some bug fixes and suggestions, but and I guess it's also part of the dilemma is that sort of while I own the products and mm-hmm. and sort of own the revenue stream from it, it's I'm invested in it and willing to put in hard work and, and all that sort of thing for it. And I really don't know how that would change if it was a truly open source um development I, I, again it would be who knows I, I i still toy with the idea from time to time and i mean the other other way that i've kind of considered is even a, a, a partial shared source type arrangement with clients so yep. maybe maybe the small companies still pay a, a license fee and get the closed source um compiled products but maybe the big companies that that you know would want to have the source or could benefit from the source code and a, a shared source type of approach. You, you maybe there's a there's a hybrid model where you share the source code for a fee with with some um, some clients, but it's it's certainly not a pure. You know, there's a lot of open source um, community that would frown on that type of approach because it seems that a lot open source is is, is all in. So it's it's either it's a truly open source or it's not and um, and for that reason, I think there's not a lot of off-the-shelf source, shared source type license agreements. No, we've looked into that a bit. <laughs> we were two companies uh, trying to figure out a, a way to get forward and get the um, the development uh, or give you at least some revenue stream to to continue working on it and uh, for us to to have a bit more flexibility in, in opening up and developing and... and building on top of uh, your wonderful tools. But like you said, sometimes it's hard to find the funding for those kinds of things. We touched a bit on all the stuff that you did in the past. Maybe we could dive a bit more into some of the the tooling you've made and and especially the one on Grasshopper because that's basically your main uh, uh, toolkit as as I understand it. For instance, I find it very interesting that there's a a way of describing IFC that is you develop this IFC JSON, basically. How did how did it come to that? Yeah, well, it, it's interesting. The, as I said, the industry foundation class has basically started emerging over twenty years ago, um, and in the era of floppy disks and things like that, the the cutting edge technology was Express as a as a as a step physical file, um, which is as I said, it's technology that's sort of twenty years old, and it's 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 quite efficient at reading and writing data models to file, but it is not very intuitive for a human to try and review it. Yeah, so so basically, if if someone were to open a IFC file into, for instance, Notepad or Word, because you, you can, it's a, it's a text file, 
uh, they would see the express code. Yeah, so it's a it's a it's like it's it's a line referencing um, file format. So you end up chasing lines up and down files, and so it's sort of serializing each concept with its attributes or its relationships. But um, there's no tagging of each attribute or relationship. It's just the sequence or order of them. So as you know, it, it's very hard for a human. It's okay for someone like me that's been working with IFC for eight years that. You become familiar with the order of them, but well, you basically know the IFC schema exactly. by, by heart. Um, yeah. uh, and and for someone that reads it, it's there's no explicit definition of the property or attribute that's being given. Exactly. Right? So another official format or serialization format of IFC is XML. So that's sort of like a technology that must have emerged soon after. Uh, and JSON is certainly, or the JavaScript object notation is is kind of the more modern, prefer, preferable way of, of streaming data through REST APIs and cloud services and things like that. So at the end of the day with industry foundation classes, it's it doesn't really matter how you serialize it. It's actually the objects and their relationships or attributes, which is important. But the big benefit of XML and, and JSON is that you you do get this explicit tag identification of each of those attributes or relationships. So you can actually, as a human, read and uh, or open that file in Notepad still or your favorite text editor, and you will, as a human, be able to immediately recognize a lot more of um, of what the contents of the of that of that file would be or the the concepts and its relationships. So it has it has a number of benefits then from a, a human review purpose. Um, it does suffer a little bit from file size because of the extra serialization of the text string. So um, it, it's it, that's the one trade-off. But but from it, you know, I guess I, the the key target of IFC is machine readable. So one software or process being reading it, not a human. But the same token, I, I still obviously humans need to review and troubleshoot the data. Um, so there is a, a real benefit from at least using XML or JSON. Well, it gives you a bit more insight, I think, into the, uh, the actual yeah. workings and the, the, the structure as IFC as a language or a descriptive language. Absolutely. So even, you know, and as I said, it's, it's, it's obviously emerged for cloud services and database exchange or REST APIs and things like that. So that, that you know, again, working with you guys identified that that would be a, a great, a, a preferred way of serializing the data. So, um, yeah, that that certainly influenced the the addition of of JSON as a serialization format for our toolkit. And I, I guess now there's been uh, within the Building Smart community a group looking at that in in more detail and trying to sort of come up with an official JSON schema for IFC. Um, so, yeah. So that, again, yeah, you know, that's um, that's something that that's, that's happening at the moment. So, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yours is a bit more uh, still very descriptive, as I would I would call it. It's uh, it's you can actually read, and you have a long traversal of nested elements, and it will actually do the uh, uh, mimic very well the um, uh, well the language basically and how it's built up. And the the new version by uh, the uh, Building Smart can, uh, group is more using references and a 
think it's a bit more optimized to be using with databases or searching and and quicker reading of the file because it groups all the properties and it groups all the classes and it groups uh, all that kind of thing about it together. So uh, and then uses references to to get it together. Um, yeah, which is again harder because now I have to figure out where the reference actually goes sure. <laughs> so I'm, I'm very happy that, that your serialization uh is more readable well you you said you've interesting thing that you've worked on as well was uh you've experimented a bit with some of the getting ic to be done through via xml uh sorry uh excel that that was a a toying bit that i saw one time yeah i mean I guess Excel Excel is the versatile tool that every every digital designer or participant loves. So, but I, I it, it's 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 not an easy one because I think a lot of the reason people love Excel is because it's you can structure it the way you like. Um, trying to get people to use a standard spreadsheet is like mission impossible because everyone has their own preference and and style or, or, or um, you know, desire about how they want to arrange their spreadsheet. So, but, you know, it is certainly a versatile editing tool. And we've, we've done some work about, um, you know, reading and writing or pushing, you know, spreadsheets into IFC and, and vice versa. But, yeah, again, it's a tricky one to say you've done with, with a great deal of success because um, of the flexibility or, or, or the lack of, of, of the structure to the spreadsheet that, that commonly exists. So. Yeah, yeah. If you give someone an Excel sheet after 50 rows, it's uh, the setup is different. Sure. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I get your point. Um, well, that's that was a bit about all of the stuff you've been doing. Uh, which, which open source or IFC developments do you reckon as very significant at the moment apart from your own projects so not the real or civil part of it but um, maybe maybe there's other pieces of open source software that you say okay I'm, I'm using that or i'm using very close eye on it to see where it goes and how i i can contribute or extend upon it well so mcneil the the developers of the rhino 3d and grasshopper applications that you know, that was probably the first open source project that I really used, which is OpenNURBS. So it, it's kind of a similar concept about that they've sort of freely um, or open sourced their development of their, their toolkit for reading and writing 3DM files with, with sort of a, at least a, a primitive geometry kernel. So, you know, it has... Just, just one sec, John. NURBS, for, for those that don't understand, because if we're working with Revit, NURBS doesn't show up anywhere. Well, not not frequently. So NURBS, if you want to, the NURBS is another acronym, as we love in our industry. So a NURB is a, a non-uniform rational B-spline. Um, and effectively, it's spline. So, you know, if you have... So it's, a, it's, it's basically a sort of a curve. It's, smooth, it's a very smooth curve. Um, the, the most primitive curves are lines and then normally arcs or circles. And then you can have a higher order curve of a, of a and sort of any organic shape. So splines, I, that, effectively, they came out of the marine industry, which is how Rhino started as a AutoCAD plugin. Um, but NURBS can then define curves and, and surfaces, which are effectively splines in two directions, um, as a free form shape. So 
Um, but yeah, so the Open NURBS toolkit, it certainly features lines and points and vectors and um, and other sort of fairly simple geometry concepts, primarily for reading and writing the files, but it also does have um, at least a primitive geometry kernel built into it. So you can do dot products of vectors or transform objects using the 4D matrix or, or these types of operations. So Open NURBS is definitely one of the open source um, toolkits that, 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 or, or developments that we sort of rely on use a lot. So even in say our Revit plugin for, for IFC, we use a, a lot of common code with Rhino because we, we've sort of converted the IFC geometry to, to open NURBS geometry. And then we can then sort of convert that more easily into, into Revit geometry than, than also duplicating a lot of work from IFC to Revit. So, so that's certainly one of the open source projects that we're grateful for and use a lot. Um, obviously for, other other open source projects that we, that we use are like things like obviously Newtonsoft JSON, which probably everyone or lots of people use. Um, it's interesting that thing, even technologies like C Sharp have been open source, so that obviously makes it more reliable in the medium to long term. Yeah. Um, so you know that again, that's an interesting one. And again, I, as I said, when we started eight or, not, or I started eight or nine years ago with IFC, it was. Uh, a lack of open source toolkits for reading and writing, but certainly there's a few other alternatives that, that users can look at, such as XBIM or IFC Open Shell. We'll have a, also a discussion with Thomas Kainer about it, who did most of the work on IFC Open Shell. Yeah, they're the, um, the ones we've used a lot. And as I said, other, other developments like Speckle are, are very interesting and, and, and emerging and growing. And, I think you're also speaking with Dion from BlenderBIM, um, yep. which is, you know, using a lot of IFC Open Shell, but it's certainly another project that that's getting a lot of attention or um, showing a different way of, or how IFC, or, sorry, how open source and IFC can be paired very um, well together. Yeah, the development of BlenderBIM basically and uh, all the stuff that you can do with that. And how that came to be, that's also an interesting story to be told by uh, by Dion. Well, we touched a bit on it, and it was difficulty of getting uh, projects to 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 get funded and have open source. But do you believe that open source technology will replace our current tool set in in the AC industry? Uh, <laughs> I see a big smile. So <laughs> that's that's a big question. <laughs> like, yeah, well. Well, I don't have a crystal ball, um, and and maybe it will, but I'm a bit pes more pessimistic about the short term to even medium term about that. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, maybe I'll be proven wrong, which which would be fantastic. I mean, I, I am a big be believer in open standards and open source, but yeah, I, I you know even the industry foundation classes is. is primarily in exchange file format. So it's, it's sort of how do you reference or re visualize or review um, another software's data or, or objects in, in another application. I mean, you can definitely, you have some, some concepts that are fairly well supported semantically. So, you know, how, how you describe a wall in IFC is pretty consistent with how you say you define a wall in, in Revit or Archicad or Tecla or open buildings and some of these applications. So you, you can find some objects that are fairly, you know, IFC has, has enough intelligence to have a, 
a round trip or a, 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 a an editing of that object downstream, but but there are many other examples where, where that doesn't work so well. So again, I mean, I guess it, it's it, you know, I guess what we need to see or keep building on small success stories and, and early emergence, but but I do think. IFC is going to need a lot more work and, and a lot more improvement for it to be truly the the, the you know the master modeling format. Um, and so I'm not so yeah. So confident. basically, we we need a, a, a to to get there. You you're saying we need a sort of native IFC based authoring tool uh, that that could actually help you model straight into IFC. Yeah, I mean, IFC doesn't store all the semantics, you know, for even like a, a sloping roof, it doesn't really you know, store the, the slope angle as a parametric input to it. So, so mm -hmm. as I said, it, it will work for a lot of common objects, but but it, it's going to need further enhancement or development to be, you know, truly used for a lot of models. So, uh, yeah, so at the moment, I think there's still a lot of, innovation that should be done at the at the software um, side but then as i said let's see i don't have a crystal ball I'd, I'd love to be love to see more ifc authoring but but i'm a little bit more skeptical than than perhaps others might expect well maybe the cost of the uh, regular software uh will uh eventually push people a bit more into open source uh, technologies and uh, solutions and 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 in fact that uh, someone else can actually reuse or uh, extend upon what you, you're doing. And well, the the the, the follow-up question basically is: How do you see the future of open source in the AC technology industry? Do you do you believe that it it could be the model for getting things done? And not, and we're not discussing IFC specifically, but shoot our Maybe the, the workflow be more open source minded, like open data or uh, co collaborating on that. Well, we, we can definitely hope so. I mean, what what we don't really want is a whole bunch of duplicated effort, which I think is probably fairly common at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also, I guess, interesting that you know some firms might have some pretty intelligent staff that can do some really smart development, but. Of course, they're not necessarily locked into that company and might change and, and take the tools with them, et cetera. So, you know, it, or at least take the knowledge about how to develop them with them. So, yeah, again, I don't have a crystal ball. I'd love to see more open source and more um, more um, efficient you know, tool development done across the industry rather than, than in silos. But I guess there's also a lot of competitive um aspects of the of the sort of designers and builders and and operators and managers so there's certainly a few different forces in different directions to to influence how, how we you know push further and further into open source so okay now an open question <laughs> are there are there things i'm forgetting because your your history is so long and um uh, the stuff you've been doing is so well, it's been the trigger for my business, BIMFORCE, uh, to get started, basically, because we, we saw the stuff that you were doing and saying, okay, this is this is really, really interesting to be be extending upon. Um, but are there things you say, like, okay, well, you, you sort of skipped over or glanced over that and, and would like to tell a bit more about? 
Yeah, I mean, I guess it's as a geometry gym tries to be kind of I, at least how and I don't know how others might describe geometry gym, but trying to be a trailblazer and sort of lead at least show some of these things. So it, it's interesting now, sort of having been working on grasshopper plugins and the things like tools like that for twelve years that we've kind of done the first version of it, and then say if it's a link to a structural analysis software that. Or Tekla is, is, I guess, a good example that Tekla then went out and developed their own plugin for Grasshopper. Um, and in some ways, that's a nice. So you were at a trailblazer and then yeah, they took over and then. Which, which if, I mean, we need also need people to try and, you know, try and motivate others in the industry that about open standards or, or technologies that they, that they might consider. Yeah, basically opening doors and showing them, yeah, okay, that's there's, right. there's this whole different world over here that you can actually do if you wanted to and like a big company like trimble obviously have a team of software developers that that can do a far better job than i do so mm -hmm. in, in some ways i think that's what geometry dream strives to do is to sort of do some interesting stuff up front and and then hopefully it encourages others perhaps to build better versions of it downstream so you know again i said probably infrastructure is the the other the the, the one where we're sort of focusing on um, how do we sort of get alignments in and out of civil 3D or open roads or open rail or, um, you know, working with others like 12D or civil software? Um, so I think that's probably, you know, what's going to, you know, that, that's the next door to open or, or try to help uh, in a small way, um, you know, push the industry further in, into using open standards and, and perhaps open source. So. Um, yeah, again, it's, it's, you know, it's interesting as a, as a company gets older and, uh, you know, how do you, how do you keep innovating and how do you keep looking for, for, for things to pursue? But, uh, at the moment, at least the things, things are fairly bright. So we've, we've certainly got a few, few things to, to try and chase. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, one of the things that I find very interesting in the tool set that you have is sort of, you've sort of extended upon the open source IC exporter uh, and and the, the, the actual models that the, the IFC models that are coming out of there are nicer, <laughs> uh, a, a better structured maybe, um, have a better setup for especially IC4. Um, and and I, if I'm correct, you're actually thinking about doing the vice versa of and you also have an importer into Revit, right uh that uses ifc and and, and transverse that into native uh, Revit objects well again because a lot of the early work was grasshopper to Revit, so it was fairly one directional about how do we and you know they don't want to just get a, a geometry model in Revit that they can't edit they want to try and be able to maintain it downstream if the parametric model gets get stopped at a certain stage of design like detailed design so mm -hmm. so yeah we actually developed our revit ifc importer independently and this was before autodesk open sourced their their own ifc link code or their ifc export code so perhaps if they'd open sourced earlier maybe things might have gone a different direction but we'd already sort of progressed a long way with our own importer independently by the time they open sourced that part of it the exporter, and I guess part of their hope, Autodesk's hope for open sourcing was to, you know, there are probably another two or three plugins for Revit to perhaps help import or export IFC files. 
And I guess part of the motivation for Autodesk to open source was to consolidate those efforts into one tool rather than, than have these different versions. But so I would describe our export as more an enhancer rather than a, an a independent export. No, it, it, you're actually building on top of the... Uh... Export, you know, it actually, and this isn't a very efficient way to do it, but it actually call, executes the out-of-the-box exporter and then starts adjusting the IFC file. Um, and again, you know, look, I, I guess I had some funded work from Autodesk to help participate that project, but um, it's it, it's a lot lot more um, difficulty for Autodesk with a lot of legacy and a huge number of users as to how they how they change a, a tool or a function like the IFC export. Whereas, I guess we've sort of maintained our enhancer just because we're using it in an agile way and for for you know a small number of clients on projects. So it, it's kind of a different dynamic or force. So. Yeah. Do, do you still have something that you said, okay, we skipped over that or that was an interesting. No, I, I hope, hope I've given some insights into my experience with, with open standards and open source. It's, it's, it, I, I believe in it and it, it, it's, a, it's a great way to do it. And I'd like to do, especially on the open source side, a lot more of it, but, um, as I said, hopefully that gives the listeners some sort of insights into my experience with both. So, John, then I want to thank you for this uh, this interview. Uh, there's there would have been much more to talk about, but then I think we would end up in 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 IFC country and how things work and even more down that rabbit hole, um, which is by itself very interesting. But uh, maybe <laughs> for another time. Absolutely. So. Uh, I want to thank you very much. It was lovely having you and uh, hope to see you in person again. Yeah, soon. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Bye. Bye. So another great episode. Uh, I'm really fascinated by this open source stuff. Um, one of the things that always comes up, and I think we touch on it on some of the other episodes as well, and you mentioned it even here when your introduction of John, is the idea that uh, open source doesn't necessarily mean free. Um, and sometimes there's that struggle between open source versus closed. Which one do you do to make sure that there's money to keep making more of these great tools? I thought that was an interesting uh, conversation that we have in this episode. The idea that um, there's been IFC experts all over the world for almost 20 years, that sort of blew my mind that IFC has really been around that long, that sort of yep. came up in this conversation. And the last thing, and this was, I really appreciated this little quote that John said. He says, do some of the work up front to encourage others to improve and continue on the work. So that was sort of his comment on the open source community and that if you start a project, you may not finish it, but if it becomes open source and others take up the torch, yep. uh, it gets bigger and better. And, and that's one of the great things that I, that I like about this. And one of the small open source communities that I've been a small part of is, is uh, Dynamo, for example, the same thing. Mm -hmm. They've got a great community of people that help yep. and answer and bring it forward. So I really like that. Uh, that comment that came out of the interview. What about you? What What do you take away from that interview that you were part of that uh, that really resonates? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, um, for me, it was a, a bit of a trip down memory lane because it, it it sort of drew me back to when we started, when I started with John, and and why we started uh, some of the things that that I personally worked on. Yeah, um, and took some some interesting perspectives into why or why not to do open source and how difficult it sometimes is to 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 find business models to facilitate open sourcing and um 
you can have the best intentions of the world of doing something for free, but if you have to pay the bills, then it becomes sort of uh, difficult uh, at, at times. And so that's why we're now looking, for instance, at, at the shared source, which is sort of a intermediate form where we there are some revenue streams and then you try to build that up. And when it gets to a certain level, you can then it's easier to open source it by then because then you've made some money out of it and you've gotten your share of all the time invested. And like you said, yeah, well, he's a pioneer on IFC and we touched on some of the subjects. And if we could have done an entire episode on IFC, I guess. But yeah, there is there's some interesting stuff coming uh, our way and, and the developments within IFC. I, I guess that, that makes sense. And the, the money part is always, is always going to be a struggle. Tying that back to another thing that was said in in the uh, the interview is the idea that a lot of times when this starts out that the first seed that starts an open source project it becomes a passion play like you're doing it because you're passionate about a problem. Yeah, you believe you believe in change. You believe you believe that there is a better way of doing stuff, and you believe that you want to share that with other people, and you believe that uh, you can. Uh, um, give that to other people, and that they could build upon it, and we could collaborate or work better together. Or there, there is always a need. You've done it for yourself. You've done something because you, it, you got better at it. But you want to share it with someone because you want to work better with them, uh, or have a whole industry <laughs> work better together. So that those are the reasons to be. I, I guess the main reasons to be open sourcing. Yeah, and I think that's why the open source idea is is popular, more popular than ever, and they're successful. The ones that people are really passionate about, they're successful because of that passion. It's not not because yeah. the money. The money needs to come. That's a that's an evil that has to happen. But that's not the reason that they're successful. A lot of them, right? No, the the, the reason they're successful is because it solves a problem, and it's not always the most elegant solution most of the times it's the solution that is a problem for everyone so it becomes least problem for everyone as well to communicate for instance if we if we have a bi-directional link that works and it works fine for two people but the third one it's a major obstacle so if we all lower our expectations a bit and accept that there's stuff that we cannot do then suddenly a lot of things start working absolutely well, well, thanks so much for hopping on board and helping out with the team here. Uh, we certainly appreciate it very much. You had mentioned there's a couple more interviews. Do, do you have anything you, in this early stage you can let us know about what's coming up in the next couple of open source episodes? Yeah, sure, sure. Well, first of all, this was John, and um, I had a bit of a thought of some of the stuff we've been working on and, and where it came from. And one of the guys I really wanted to talk to was uh, Dion Moult from Blenderbin. Um, some of the interesting developments that he did with Blender and that we're taking away some of the things that are, for instance, uh, generating drawings out of IFC. Uh, and, and, and that instantly ties into uh, Thomas Kreine, who we work with uh, on an open source IFC viewer to patch that in. And uh, the open source IFC viewer well, that's the, it, it's there for everybody to use. So, and we're hoping that other people also start contributing to, uh, yeah, getting if you having a viewer that free, would generate drawings for you from an IFC, which would which is great if we would have that. 
So uh, and, and you just plug your plug your pro project in and say, okay, this is the section I want, or this is the elevation I want, or the floor plan, and start start rendering a a decent drawing and having uh, uh, annotations and and dimensions on it from IFC, which would be great from my perspective. So yeah, so. The on on uh, on more the open source how that works with Blender BIM and with Thomas it's more a bit of an academic story about uh, his work on the IFC Open uh, Shell which he worked on also together with Dion. So yeah, it's a it's it's an interesting story for those who want to listen. So yeah, awesome. So and. Keep an eye. Those will be coming out in the near future for our open source episodes. Again, I want to thank you, Mark, for uh, all of this. We're looking forward to your return soon to a new episode. Yeah, thanks. We'd also have some very exciting news. As I mentioned earlier, uh, as Mark mentioned, the Built Academy Summit and Built Europe are coming back again to be in person. So they will be in Valencia, Spain. The Built Academy Summit commences on May 2nd at the Polytechnic University of Valencia, or UPV, with Spanish and international workshops for students and academics, which then will be followed by our international Built Europe Conference, May 3rd to the 5th at Palacio de Congreso in Valencia. A stellar conference program awaits you in a lively exhibition hall. Mark your calendars. I look forward to seeing you all in Valencia. To review all the information that we had in this podcast or other podcasts, visit the Built Academy website for show notes, including all the details mentioned in this episode, and get connected with all of our interviewees. This podcast was produced by Sylvia Torre and edited by myself, Carl Storms. Please like, share, five-star rate, and subscribe to our podcast, and be sure to follow us on social media. Until then, on behalf of the Built Academy team and Mark, thank you for listening and stay curious. This podcast is brought to you by BIMTrack, the communication platform for BIM coordination with BIMTrack. Better coordination, better process, better projects, better buildings. Go to BIMTrack.co and start your free trial today.